Um, so thank you guys all for joining us today for our uh, critical care lecture series. And as most of you probably know, this is actually our last one for the season. Um, I'm very delighted to introduce to speak with us today, Dr. Catherine Sassoon. She's Professor Emeritus at University of California, Irvine. Um, she wrote a piece recently that intrigued me and, and had me reach out to her about reverse triggering, which to me is a fascinating phenomenon that I, I really struggle to fully grasp and fully understand. So I'm very much looking forward to your talk today, Dr. Sassoon. I'm hoping you can shed light onto this, this physiologically interesting and perplexing concept of reverse triggering. So thank you so much for joining us. Well, thank you for your gracious introduction. And I'm very pleased to be here uh, remotely, right? <laughs> All right, um, so I'd like to speak on this impact, particularly impact on the lungs and the diaphragm. But first, I'd like to go over recognition and understanding reverse triggering, prevalence and phenotypes of reverse triggering, impacts of reverse triggering on the lungs and diaphragm, and then differentiating reverse triggering from double triggering because it can be very tough at the bedside, but can be done that uh, easily. Efforts to mitigate reverse triggering and reverse triggering outcome and summary and future research. So um, let's see what's uh, reverse triggering. I will start off with the case presentation that I adapted from the, the freeze. And um, let me um, minimize this cover, okay. This is a 35 year old man with no relevant past medical history, he was admitted to a community hospital with dyspnea, cough reductive virulent mucus and fever. A chest radiograph showed bilateral basal consolidation, and he was diagnosed with community-acquired pneumonia. The patient did not improve with saturation and developed severe bronchospasm after bronchoalveolar lavage, leading to hypercapnic respiratory failure and consequent endotracheal intubation. He was placed on volume-controlled ventilation and sedation. Arterial blood gases were obtained, oops, sorry, um, and an esophageal catheter was inserted to evaluate pulmonary mechanics. So this is the arterial blood gases requiring FiO2 60%, pH 726 PaCO2 77, PaO2 67, and normal bicarb. But well, bicarb is slightly elevated. And um, mechanics, respiratory mechanics and ventilator settings. The tidal volume is set at 5.7 cc per kilobody weight. It's relatively flow at 60 liter per minute. Respiratory rate at 30 per minute. With PEEP of 13 centimeter water, peak airway pressure 43, plateau airway pressure 23, and driving pressure 10 centimeter water. So this plateau airway pressure and driving pressure meeting the recommended ARTS uh, ventilator settings. And static compliance of the respiratory system is 50 ml per centimeter water. This is really pretty good for somebody on uh, mechanical ventilation near normal. And resistance of the respiratory system is 20 centimeter water per liter per second. And this is actually elevated twice the normal value as you, you knew the history that you developed bronchospasm. So that makes sense that the respiratory system is uh, elevated. I mean, the, the resistance of the respiratory system is elevated. So clinically, the patient appears to improve, but observe a remarkable pattern of pressure and flow on the ventilator screen that was interpreted as fighting the ventilator. Increasing doses of sedatives did not abolish the pattern. And here is the ventilator waveform. So let me take you through there. On the top is the airway pressure, flow, volume, esophageal pressure, and the transpulmonary pressure. As you know, transpulmonary pressure is the difference between the airway pressure and esophageal pressure. 
Notice that during mechanical ventilation, and the patient is completely relaxed, the esophageal pressure is always reflect, uh, deflected upward. But when there is inspiratory activity or, or effort on the patient part, the esophageal pressure will be deflected downward, so a negative deflection. And you notice that this breath, the airway pressure, seems like a double triggering. But is this double triggering or the other possibility or your differential is reverse triggering? So uh, first you have to look at the onset of, oops, my mouse discussing the animation already coming on by itself. Um, so first look at the, the patient effort, the onset of patient effort. This is the black dash line. And then look at the onset of the ventilator of breath. So this is the red line. So you could see there is a phase delay from the onset of the mechanical breath and the patient effort. So this suggests that there is some reverse triggering, meaning that the patient effort follows mechanical breath. And they think that this event of, I'm sorry, this one, let me, I have to pause this. That the ventilator uh, triggers the patient effort, but really it's not the case. That is a, just a description. And as you see, when it falls, the patient effort falls in the uh, during the mechanical breath, particularly in the early part or even middle part, will cause like breath stacking. And this is quite dangerous because it can cause the uh, increase in the transformer pressure and cause lung stress. All right, so let's look at what is the actually risk. Reverse trickery. According to the description that Akimianakis here in 2013 described, reverse triggering is a unique rhythmic pattern of patient ventilator interaction during passive. I'm oh, sorry, oh, gosh, I have to pause this. I'm sorry about this thing. Didn't do that happen before. So it's a rhythmic pattern. Uh, a patient ventilator interaction during passive ventilation in deeply sedated patient with ARDS, in which mechanical inflation triggers inspiratory muscle effort. So, but it is not limited to patient with ARDS. It's also involved, uh, reported in recently last year in patient with non-ARDS, and also observed in healthy subjects on mechanical ventilation through the mask. This is the experiment is done through the mask in awake and sleep state. So that's the descriptive pattern, and it is rhythmic. The reason rhythmic is because there is a like one-to-one entrainment, one-to-two entrainment, one-to-three entrainment. It's different than double triggering, which is erratic or random. So in this case, it's more rhythmic, and you have to always look at um, uh, the diaphragmatic article EMG or esophageal pressure. This is a requirement to really make the diagnosis of reverse triggering at this time, unless there is some automatic uh, monitoring of airway pressure and flow uh, deflection or deviation that can in, uh, that can lead to the diagnosis of reverse triggering. But that I think it's in the work right now. So look for so the this is flow airway pressure and on top is all flow airway pressure. And here is diaphragmatic electrical activity, and here is esophageal pressure tracing. So first look always at the patient effort. So if there is a diaphragmatic electrical activity, that means that there's a patient effort. So here is the uh, black line. And then if you have a mechanical uh, and 
breath, of course, this is the onset of the mechanical inflation. So mechanical inflation then followed by the patient effort. So this is only one mechanical inflation, one patient effort. So this is one-to-one entrainment. It's all throughout this uh, waveform here that's trace tracing. In this case, the next one is one mechanical breath. Uh, if you look at this first is the patient effort, onset patient effort. This is mechanical breath. And that is not the mechanical breath. So there are two uh, to one. So one spontaneous effort uh, followed by two, I mean, preceded by two mechanical inflation. In this case, again, you look first at the patient effort and then onset the mechanical breath, one, two, and three. So this is one to three and three. That's how you determine the rhythm. There are other patterns, two to three, or even chaotic, but this is quite rare. Uh, so what is the frequency of this reverse triggering pattern? Most commonly it's one to one, but in the study, it's multi-center prospective study recording on day one, a mechanical ventilation, there's 100 patients. The frequency of reverse triggering is 50%, but the most common pattern is one to one and one to two and less so in one to three. This is in the sedated mild moderate ARTS. Most commonly the patient is deeply sedated and to confirm uh, reverse triggering, you have to look at the phase angle. And what is phase angle? Phase angle or theta is the delayed phase divided by the total mechanical breath, which is from the onset of the first mechanical breath to the next mechanical breath. That is the total mechanical breath. So, uh, and phase delay is the, the delay or the time from the onset of mechanical breath to the patient effort, the onset of patient effort is DP. So if there is a phase angle of zero degrees, meaning that the onset of mechanical breath coincides exactly with the onset of the spontaneous breath. Now, in, in this study, you look at the one-to-one and one-to-two as the, there are reported eight patients. Out of these eight, only three patients that has one-to-two rhythm. So most common is one-to-one. And in this one-to-one um, phase, uh, one-to-one uh, rhythm, the phase angle usually with, has a narrow interquartile range, while the one-to-two or one-to-three has usually wide interquartile range. I'm sorry, I have to stop this. Pause this. Um, so that's... That's what commonly uh, shown is one-to-one with narrow interquartile range. Well, what, what is the criteria to make the diagnosis reverse triggering? Uh, there's really no consensus at this point. But you have to have positive phase angle, which is greater than zero degree to 180 degrees. And the coefficient of variation of this phase angle and the total neural of entering breath so that's it as the spontaneous effort breath has to be less than 15%. Like in this case, the total mechanical, total mechanical ventilation, of course, is zero. And the one-to-one uh, less than, this is the coefficient variation of 15%. One-to-one or one-to-two is less than 15%. While when you have just spontaneous breathing or neural tittle, this is all above 15% because spontaneous breathing uh, varies quite a bit. And there is, has to be a minimum of five consecutive breath cycles for one-to-one entrainment or 10 breaths for one-to-two entrainment. But as I said, there's no really consensus uh, to look at. 
So I think it's important just to look at the the face between the spontaneous effort and the mechanical breath and the and the face angle. So what is really precisely reverse triggering? That is just the description of reverse triggering. But reverse triggering is actually uh, an entrainment of respiratory rhythm or resetting of respiratory rhythm. This is a change in respiratory rate such that a fixed repetitive and temporal relationship exists between the onset of neural inspiratory activity or the spontaneous effort and the mechanical breath. And where does this originate? It's originated from the central neural oscillator within the respiratory pattern generator in the brainstem. This is where the pneumotaxic center is. In response to external stimulus and most commonly face lock at one to one. So here is the study, an older study in, in patient or actually a normal subject with normal lung underwent anesthesia for minor surgery. So the patient respiratory pattern generator actually attempt to match the rhythm imposed by the ventilatory rhythm. On the x-axis here is the ratio between the ventilator rate, set ventilator rate, to the spontaneous breathing rate. So when this is one, it gives you a really nice uh, regular rhythm, one-to-one rhythm, uh, one plus minus point two. Regardless or irrespective of the tidal volume on the y-axis, which is the ratio of the ventilator set tidal volume to the spontaneous patient tidal volume. So a stable one-to-one entrainment pattern would develop when the patient intrinsic neural rate was close to the ventilator set rate. So there's an additional um, spontaneous rate that imposed into um, the the neural rate or to the oscillator actually, when you have a stimulus as a mechanical inflation, the oscillator then adjusts to trying to mimic to the uh, ventilator rate or additional to that ventilator rate. So here, uh, where is the location of that respiratory pattern generator? As I mentioned, it's in the brainstem at the pneumotaxic center. Okay. Oh, sorry. And presumably also in the spinal cord. And the reason is that respiratory entrainment has been observed in brain dead patients, like is shown in this waveform. Oh, gosh, sorry. I'm trying to pause it. Oh. All right. This hopefully this is a waveform of a brain dead patient, forty year old male, post out hospital uh, cardiac arrest with prolonged CPR. Basically, uh, brain dead was declared, and the um, PCO two on the apnea test has increased from thirty six to seventy six millimeter mercury for ten minutes, so meeting the diagnosis of brain death. And yet, electrical activity of the diaphragm was present, and this this uh, electrode was inserted for another study. So they were surprised to see this diaphragmatic EMG in a brain dead patient. And you see this can be confirmed that on the, this is the diaphragm EMG on the, uh, on the bottom uh, waveform. So you, and this is the onset of mechanical breath. So you see there's a phase delay. So the ventilator followed by the, uh, the EMG electrical activity and causing like a double breath like this one. So, uh, it is interesting 
And this is one-to-one entrainment, as you see, because one, meca- one inspiratory effort is being preceded by one mechanical breath. So one-to-one entrainment. It's interesting that in, even in brain death patient, there's an electrical EMG activity. So where, where's the source of this? So it's possible it's in the spinal, uh, spinal cord itself. Now, when you look at the, the uh, stimuli, there, ha- there has to be a stimulus that causes this entrainment. And we found out, uh, we become more aware that this passive mechanical inflation, but this is actually nothing new because in the 80s, there, there was a very um, graves and at all that looked stud- located the study of patient anesthetized and with normal lung has developed also entrainment. So passive mechanical inflation is the one that trigger this entrainment, but other uh, triggers like locomotor rhythm exercise rhythm, musical rhythm, and actual even cardiac carbon dioxide itself may trigger this um, entrainment. So this is an example or a study on musical rhythm on respiratory entrainment, a representative uh, fl- waveform of flow on the red and the tidal point the green, and the top is the beat, the musical beat. So this is a musician that um, had to listen several minutes on the musical rhythm from a musical score together with metronome. And the metronome tapping beats um, will increase the signal-to-noise ratio. So as you see here, each beat initially is not coinciding with the onset of inspiration, but gradually from the auditory cues of that musical rhythm, the, the beats coincide with the onset of inspiration. Every beat, as you could see here. It's interesting, of course, that the stimulus did not induce the same um, manifestation with, as with mechanical inflation, where you have an extra or inspiratory effort. This is just coinciding with the onset of inspiration. So there, it, it confirms their hypothesis, actually, that musical rhythm can function as a pacemaker or a side giver. So it's uh, really coinciding with each breath. Similarly, when patient exercise, your steps of your feet steps with the exercise then may coincide with your um, onset of inspiration. So in what condition that this entrainment can occur with mechanical ventilation? It occurs can it can occur in healthy subjects as men, as I mentioned during wakefulness and sleep state. The study was done using a mask and mechanical ventilation while the subject is completely relaxed. And anesthetized subject with normal lungs, I assured you prior to the slides, and then critical ill subject with and without ARDS and the brain dead subjects and in anesthetized animals. Now, what are the mediators to this entrainment? It's it is thought that it was made vaguely mediated through the slowly and rapidly adapting receptors as well as C fibers, because in anesthetized animals, when you do phagotomy, it abolishes the respiratory entrainment completely. But in humans, phagal receptors actually does not play a role because in hot lung transplant subjects also still experience respiratory entrainment. So phagal receptors is not um, or does does not play a role in human subjects. Now, other me- mechanical uh, 
um, I mean, mechanoreceptors that located in the airway, lungs and chest wall and diaphragm may play a role as well. And also spinal reflexes, as I just showed you in the brain dead patient uh, undergoing mechanical ventilation. So let's move on the prevalence and phenotypes of reverse triggering because the phenotype has influence on the effect, the harmful or benefit effect on the lungs. So this is the prevalence. The prevalence of reverse triggering is pretty high, both in ARTS and non-ARTS patients. Um, in the ARTS patient, there are 100 patients that studied in mild moderate. The prevalence is 50%. When the data is collecting within the first 24 hours of mechanical ventilation, using esophageal pressure as the tool for detecting the reverse triggering. Um, all these patients had received sedation with RAS score of minus four. Um, and patients that are non-ARDS, about 39, so not that many. And the cause of the uh, recent for mechanical ventilation can be pulmonary or non-pulmonary. And the prevalence is still 44%. And this study was done 24 hours post-intubation using diaphragmatic electrical activity for detecting the reverse triggering. Again, the, the sedation is pretty pretty deep with Riker score of two. So as you see that RAS score of minus four and Riker score of two is similar, very deeply sedated patient. So now what are the phenotypes? There are four phenotypes that's described. Depending on the onset of the spontaneous breathing and the onset of the mechanical breath. So on the top is the esophageal pressure, the volume, airway pressure, flow, and transmolar pressure. Let's just concentrate on the esophageal pressure and the airway pressure. These two uh, uh, waveforms are from early reverse triggering with early relaxation. The next one is early reverse triggering with delayed relaxation. So in early um, reverse triggering, do you see my arrow or not? I'm not, I didn't ask you. Yes, we can. You see my arrow, okay. Uh, at the onset of, of spontaneous effort, so this is the esophageal pressure, it falls on the early portion of the mechanical breath, less than 50% of the inspiratory time of the mechanical breath, and then return to baseline pretty short as well, so at the end of the mechanical breath. So here is called early reverse triggering with early relaxation. And the effect of this, it can cause increase in tidal volume, so it will increase lung stress. What about early reverse triggering and delayed relaxation? If you look at the onset of the spontaneous effort, it falls still early at the onset of the mechanical breath. But it did not, the, the spontaneous effort does, does not return to baseline pretty far advanced into the exhalation. So again, this one too can increase tidal volume increase transformer pressure, and increase lung stress. And the next slide is the mid-reverse triggering and the late-reverse triggering. Uh, you look again, uh, esophageal pressure and the airway pressure. So the onset of inspiratory effort falls in the middle, smack in the middle of the mechanical breath. So this is called mid-reverse triggering and the esophageal pressure did not return to baseline until late into exhalation. 
this too can increase tidal volume and lung stress. And then late reverse triggering, uh, this esophageal pressure, the onset of spontaneous breath falls at the end of the mechanical breath. And then the relaxation doesn't occur or return to baseline doesn't occur to into late exhalation. So this is called late reverse triggering. So what's the impact on the lungs and the diaphragm? Here, uh, let me just pause this. So early, there are reverse triggering phenotypes uh, compared to the passive ventilation breath. So early reverse triggering with early relaxation, this is delayed relaxation, mid-cycle reverse triggering and late reverse triggering. So we look at the volume change uh, as a result of this reverse triggering and inspiratory transformer pressure, which is an indicator of lung stress when it is excessive, and expiratory transformer pressure, which indicate of your uh, extra PEEP or a pressure that will maintain the alveoli open at the end of exhalation. So if you look at the change in volume first, the p-value, this is compared to the passive ventilation. So if you look at this early reverse treating with delayed relaxation, this is, has the higher volume change or increase, and then early reverse triggering and mid-cycle. So all these three will may increase um, the tidal volume and cause may increase the transponder pressure and cause uh, lung, increasing lung stress. Then an inspiratory transponder pressure, you, see, you could see that this is the early reverse triggering with delayed relaxation. And then the sim similarly with mid-cycle and there with the early reverse triggering. So all these are significantly different from passive relaxation or passive ventilation. In terms of N exhalation, 1.9 here in early reverse triggering, 0.8 and 0.6. So all these three, of course, with late reverse triggering may have residual N expiratory transfer pressure because it's went into late in, in, in exhalation. And notice that with early reverse triggering and early relaxation, the anexpiratory pleural pressure is negative, meaning that after a collapse occur at the end of exhalation, while here with positive may remains open. So uh, the positive anexpiratory pleural pressure, I mean, transmolar pressure actually is a beneficial effect for free for triggering. Now, what about those breaths that has no breath stacking without breath stacking? This is a waveform of a female, 59-year-old female patient with severe ARDS with a PF ratio of 93 on volume assist control ventilation. And they also applied uh, electrical impedance tomography. You know, it's a band, electrical band that, that you place around the chest to monitor the alveolar air in the dependent and non-dependent region. So the non-dependent is this, this um, this graph here, and then non, the dependent region is at the bottom. And they measure the impedance of that uh, area of aeration. So this is the airway pressure. You could see this is a mechanical breath. And then again, you have a savage pressure that has a downward deflection. This is the patient effort. And if you look at the onset of the mechanical breath, there is a phase delay. If you look at the uh, impedance tomography, this is your control, your passive ventilation. 
the, the non-dependent has well aerated uh, area in this in this breath, the mechanical breath. But it, when the reverse triggering occurs, the area becomes smaller as there is as a result of the air moving into the dependent region that causes increasing aeration in the dependent region. And this, which is initially small and the and the control and the passive ventilation become larger, that may cause lung stress. So reverse triggering may induce lung stress in the dependent region of the lung. Now, if you, then the, this investigator did, uh, did experiment in animal in porcine model with ARTS using Boho alveol lavage, saline lavage into induced ARTS, severe ARTS with pH ratio 75 millimeter mercury. And then the induced, um, uh, I mean, applied volume during mechanical ventilation and on the x-axis is the esophageal pressure during reverse triggering. So each dot here uh, represents the um, the amount of volume that is required to achieve the esophageal pressure the, during the reverse triggering that is c- comparable to the volume during the dependent lung stretch or similar to the magnitude of the of the area in the dependent lung stretch. So you could see that each, the negative esophageal pressure here requires this amount of volume. And the mean uh, of the tidal volume or the volume required to fill that aeration in the dependent lung region has a mean about 11 cc per kilo uh, body weight. So it's exceeding the uh, recommended protective ventilation strategy. So that means that reverse triggering can induce lung stress in the dependent region. Now, what about the effect on the diaphragm uh, on reverse triggering? It's interesting um, that it has also a double effect, meaning double opposite effect. So this study uh, using also pigs um, sedated and anesthetized. The control is passive ventilation with tidal volume of 10 cc per kilo with a rate of 30 breaths per minute as a control. This experiment lasts only for three hours. And the other animal, there are 24, six in each group here with uh, that um, had reverse triggering. And they induced reverse triggering by increasing the respiratory rate. So it seems that respiratory rate can modify um, is, is something that you can manipulate to, to induce or to decrease reverse triggering, but I'm really not sure about that. Um, so when they, they look at the pressure time product, which means that this is the amount of inspiratory effort of the both diaphragm and the respiratory muscles, they then divide this effort into their style in the group that has low effort, which is less than 200, and then the medium, which is 200 to 300, and the high effort, which is greater than 300. They also do the uh, phrenic nerve stimulation in vivo, so to be able to measure the transdiaphragmatic pressure, which is called PDI, normalized to their baseline uh, before the experiment. So here is the stimulation frequency. 
this is in vivo. So they induce the frequency from 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 to 60 hertz. So 60 hertz is almost like your maximum pressure generation or, or the diaphragmatic uh, uh, force capacity, forcing capacity. So here, the, um, the green, almost blue line here, is the reverse triggering with high effort. So even at the maximum stimulation frequency, the PDI is still below baseline. And here is the gray, is the uh, control. The passive mechanical ventilation is also reduced. I think it's because more of an atrophy, uh, because this is passive ventilation. And the medium is uh, the medium effort will return at the high frequency stimulation, the PDI or transdiaphatic pressure. While the reverse triggering with low effort here increases, in fact, at the maximum uh, frequency to about uh, 10, I mean, no, 30% increase for the low, the low effort, the low uh, muscle effort. So the PTI actually improved. So in other words, if you have reverse triggering with low effort, this in fact protects the diaphragm from muscle atrophy if you compare to your control of passive ventilation, while the high effort causing more injury. Actually, they look at the light microscopy, there is damage in the nuclei of the muscle. So again, similar to the lung, the diaphragm has also two opposite effects on the diaphragm, can be uh, harmful, can be also beneficial. So let me summarize here that the effect on the, on the lung first, when you have breath stacking due to early or, or uh, mid RT, uh, early with and without early relaxation and mid reverse triggering can increase transpulmonary pressure and induces lung stress. When you have no breath stacking, you can occur, um, you can develop pendulum and increase regional lung stress in the area that is dependent lung region. With late reverse triggering, this is the beneficial effect. You can increase the N extra three transpulmonary pressure and open the alveoli at the end of exhalation and decreases lung strain. On the diaphragm muscle, when you have increased effort or the reverse triggering increasing muscle effort, increasing muscle pressure and can cause muscle injury or myotrauma. But when it is uh, low effort and it can prevent muscle atrophy. Unfortunately, when the effort falls in during, during exhalation, it can cause eccentric contraction where the muscle shorten. Um, I mean, the, the eccentric contraction, meaning that the uh, muscle pressure occurs during Exhalation, which is lengthening of the muscle. It, it, can, it can also cause muscle injury. But these are all only demonstrated in animals. It has not been demonstrated in humans on, uh, in terms of the diaphragm, effect on the diaphragm muscle. So um, that's where we stand at this point uh, in terms of the effect of reverse triggering on the lungs and the diaphragm. So now how do you differentiate this? between reverse triggering from double triggering. Um, you could see these two waveforms. This is airway pressure, both A and B. So which one is reverse triggering and which one is double triggering? 
it would be difficult to tell without esophageal pressure or diaphragmatic EMG activity monitoring. So here, if you use esophageal manometry, is, um, you could tell with which one is reverse triggering and which one is double triggering. You could follow, again, the onset of the spontaneous breath and the onset of mechanical breath. There's a phase delay, and that is reverse triggering, and also on the condition of the patient. Of course, when the patient has depressed respiratory drive, it's most likely reverse triggering if you do not have the esophageal pressure but it is essential to make a definitive diagnosis at this point, at this time, before any automated uh, monitoring available for every pressure and flow only. So double triggering, you could see that in the double triggering, the onset of the uh, inspiratory effort and the mechanical breath is coincide precisely. And also the neural inspiratory time is longer than the the uh, inspiratory time of the mechanical breath. So that's what the double triggering. And also in double triggering, the patient usually has high respiratory drive. Now, what about if you don't have this esophageal pressure or you don't have, uh, oops, sorry, let me do this. You do not have um, diaphragm EMG activity. So this, this study is suggested to occlude at the end of exhalation or at least five seconds or more. And if you do not see any additional inspiratory effort, this is more likely reverse triggering. And if you see inspiratory effort, like this uh, deflection of the airway pressure to downward deflection, this suggests double triggering. You could see that this is in the esophageal pressure monitoring, you could see also esophageal uh, downward deflection. So this double triggering, we will... Um, have uh, the patient will develop uh, inspiratory effort if you occlude the airway for five seconds or more. And then, and this patient, the first patient presentation that I showed you in the early slides, and as I mentioned, it's very hard to tell whether this double triggering or reverse triggering. And these, um, these authors has done also uh, an expiratory occlusion for at least 20 seconds and there is no inspiratory effort. So this speaks more for, uh, for reverse triggering. Okay, now, reverse triggering can also occur or coexist with double triggering. In this study, in this waveform, flow, airway pressure, esophageal pressure, EMG, this is EMG of the pectoralis muscle, actually. Um, and the transformer pressure. Although they did the diaphragmatic EMG, but they did not include in this graph. So here, this breath, the, the circle breath, are reverse triggered breath. This is mechanical ventilation, onset of mechanical ventilation. This is onset of the esophageal or onset of the inspiratory effort. So there is phase delay. And here, if you look at this uh, area here, there's the first breath is a reverse trigger breath, but the second breath that is so close to each other, this is not a reverse trigger breath, but it's a double trigger breath. So there's no diaphragmatic EMG activity and also did not coincide with onset of esophageal. I mean, it, there is no delay in, in the esophageal pressure. So there's no additional esophageal pressure in this breath. So this is double trigger, or you can also call it uh, auto trigger. So 
next, what is the effort? Oops, wow, geez, sorry. So how do you eliminate this uh, reverse triggering when uh, the reverse triggering is harmful? It's really, there's no sufficient study to make solid recommendation. Definitely reduce sedation and increase tidal volume, but as permissible within respiratory system elastin. As you could see on this um, graph from the early study, is when you increase the tidal volume of the ventilator uh, over the spontaneous tidal volume, since this is above this uh, horizontal line, the reverse triggering seems decrease compared to when the tidal volume is lowered. But again, I would not have any definite recommendation whether we should do that or not. And reduce respiratory rate, but here at the expense of increased breast stacking. Yeah, in the um, porcine study for the DAF, looking at the diaphragm, they have to increase the respiratory rate to induce respiratory uh, triggering. I mean, to induce reverse triggering. Here, when the respiratory rate is five, minus five breaths per minute, all breaths, the all reverse trigger breath decrease rate, the, the rate decreases. Then the one without the breath stacking also decreases, but the one with breath stacking actually increases. And this is significant, statistically significant. When you increase the breath of the ventilator breath, actually there's no change. All these B values are not significant. So there is, I cannot make any recommendation with the reducing rate or uh, increasing tidal volume. It's all, we have to wait for those studies in humans. What's the outcome of reverse triggering? So this study is, um, actually the intention of this study is looking at the incidence of reverse triggering during early application of mechanical ventilation. And they grouped these patients into uh, reverse triggering of greater than 8%, less or equal to, than 8%, because the median reverse triggering in this group is 8%. So the one that has more frequent reverse triggering, they are essentially able to come off the ventilator sooner. So able to switch the partial support mode or extubation the next day and 13 patient and compared to some patient in the one that less respiratory trigger. And the PF ratio is also much better and respiratory rate also less than the one with the less reverse triggering. The median peak electrical activity also greater with the, uh, the patient that has increased reverse triggering compared to less. And the patient triggered breath over one hour is also greater. So they are saying that perhaps the appearance of reverse triggering is indicating of transitioning from sedation to more awake patient effort um, or recovery of the respiratory center from this uh, depressed respiratory drive from uh, sedation. Um, yeah, I, I'm not too sure about this, um, but we know that uh, so deep sedation causing more reverse triggering, but with the, that means that the patient can come off the ventilator further, I'm not too sure. And this is interesting too, although the statistically is not significant. Looking into death, mortality, and discontinuing mechanical ventilation. The solid line means there's no reverse triggering, and the dashed line means there, there, there are reverse triggering. So here, 
is on discontinuing mechanical ventilation with reverse triggering, and this the absence of reverse triggering. And so it seemed like discontinuing mechanical ventilation is better when you have reverse triggering. In terms of death, also, this is the when there's no reverse triggering, there are more deaths and uh, less death when you have reverse triggering. But I warn you that this is not statistically significant. But the trend seems to be there. Interesting. So summary. Um, so reverse triggering is a rhythmic pattern ventilator interaction in which mechanical ventilation triggers spontaneous effort. But as I said, this is just a description. But actually, reverse triggering is a respiratory entrainment in response to mechanical inflation that may occur in patients with, uh, with or without, without ARTS under deep sedation. And the one-to-one entrainment is the most common pattern. Uh, the impact on lung parenchyma is a double sort of reverse, double-edged sort of reverse triggering, uh, causing breast stacking. Oh, increases lungs if the uh, reverse triggering causes breast stacking, increases lung stress. Even without breast stacking, if there's pendulum, increasing regional lung stress, and late reverse triggering during exhalation may prevent atelectasis or reduces lung strain. So this is the benefit. If beneficial effect. And on the diaphragm, again, if it's high spontaneous effort, it will impair, impair diaphragm muscle function and induce myotrauma. Inspiratory muscle effort during exhalation phase may cause eccentric contraction, also possible muscle injury, while the low to medium inspiratory muscle effort may prevent diaphragm muscle atrophy. I think that might be my um, then future research. What do we need to know or what do we expect to uh, to look into for further research? Is automatic detection for reverse triggering based on airway pressure and flow is needed? I think with artificial intelligence, machine learning and deep learning, this will come out uh, pretty soon. And then prospective study on management of harmful effects of reverse triggering. Then a prospective study on the definitive effect of reverse triggering on duration of mechanical ventilation, ICU, and hospital length of stay and mortality. This we still need to await further studies. All right, I think that's the end, and thank you for your attention.